Again, this evening, we remember the presentation of Christ in the temple. And the timing of that was dictated by the Old Testament law. Uh, it was not Mary and Joseph making a decision about when they would go and present uh, Mary to the temple or present Jesus in the temple. But the Old Testament stipulated that a woman was ceremonially unclean after childbirth. It, she just was. And so if she had given birth to a male... Obviously, on the eighth day, that male was to be circumcised. That goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 17. But then that male would, would make his mother unclean for another 33 days. Uh, if it had been a female, obviously, she would not have been circumcised on the eighth day, but her mother would have been ceremoniously, uh, ceremonially unclean for 66 days. So, Jesus was taken to the temple because Mary herself needed to go and make purification for her ceremony, ceremonially uncleanliness. And so that's what took them there to the temple that day was because Mary and Joseph desired and were, in fact, devout and obedient Israelites. They were following the law as it had been stipulated, in this case, in the book of Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, tells you what you are supposed to offer when you go to make purification. So again, at the end of this period, whether it's the 66 days or uh, the 41 days, if it's a son, uh, the mother goes and she makes a sacrifice, a lamb, if she can afford it. But if not, if too poor, two doves or two young pigeons. And also, it became tradition for the firstborn son to be presented to the Lord. In a similar way to the way that Hannah presented Samuel to God. Now, this didn't mean that all firstborn sons were kept then in the temple and raised for the service of the temple. In one sense, they were presented to the Lord and then given back as a gift to their parents. But, but this is what Mary and Joseph and Jesus went to the temple for. And we know that Mary and Joseph were somewhat poor because they didn't bring the lamb, Right. They brought two turtle doves or two, or two doves or two young pigeons, uh, and they brought Jesus to present him there in the temple, knowing, of course, that he would be given back to them and they would raise him as their son. So it's that that we remember this evening. And again, it's, its origins lie in the purification of Mary. And so it has a, a Marian element to the day. But anything that has a Marian element also has a Jesus element as well because the two go together. And so the presentation of Jesus in the temple becomes the historical event that predominated the liturgical worship that, that took center stage on this day. And so as they're walking into the temple, I mean, Simeon is there, right, faithfully serving, and Anna, this prophetess, is there for devout religious reasons, but they recognize and become important players in this moment of going to the temple with Jesus. Simeon, we're told, is righteous and devout. He's been waiting for Israel's consolation, and he has the Holy Spirit. That's how he is described for us. So this elderly man, righteous, devout, waiting for Israel's consolation. In other words, he's one of those uh, Jewish men who, though the Lord has been silent for roughly four centuries, He's awaiting the Messiah. He knows the prophecies of the Old Testament. He knows that the Messiah is coming, the anointed one. And so he's there waiting in the temple. 
So again, Simeon kind of holds the place here in this text as in the gospel reading tonight. He represents the expectant nation of Israel. Or to maybe say it a little differently, those in Israel who were expectant and waiting. Simeon represents them. Anna, we're told, is a prophetess, which I think is Luke's way of also telling us that she is one who has the Holy Spirit. For that would be consistent with prophets in the Old Testament. They are those who possess the Holy Spirit. So like Simeon, she too possesses the Holy Spirit. And we're told that she is the ideal widow. Or ideal is my word, but her widowhood, the way she's been living out her widowhood, is consistent with what Paul describes in 1 Timothy 5.5. Right? This rank of widows that is later talked about in the early church, she's living that. So whether those widows are taken Anna's an example or there's just something in the culture that says this is how widows can, can live faithfully. The point is she's a prophetess. She's the ideal widow, and she worships with fasting and prayer night and day. This is her devotion to Yahweh. This is her devotion to God, that she has given up everything in order to worship God in fasting and prayer night and day. And the church has often looked to Simeon and thought, okay, if that's the expected nation of Israel, then who is Anna? Who do we see Anna as in this picture? I mean, she's Anna, of course, but, but commentators have thought, well, she certainly represents the church, right? The, in the sense of possessing the Holy Spirit, the prophetess in a way that moves the revelation of God forward into the New Testament, right? That her fasting and prayer, the way that she lives as a widow, an example of the way in which the church is to relate to its Lord as bride. And so if we think of Simeon and Anna as placeholders, again, we have Simeon there to represent the expectant nation, expectant nation of Israel. Again, this is not, Jesus didn't come because there was no more faith or hope in Israel. He came to fulfill prophecy, but also because there was faith and hope in Israel. Exemplified by someone like Simeon. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, right? Now, now the Messiah has come. Simeon recognizes Jesus, recognizes this child that Mary and Joseph bring to the temple to offer to God. He uh, recognizes him as the Messiah. So, Lord, now you're letting me, your servant Simeon, depart in peace according to your word. Why? Because my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen he who is the one that will bring salvation to the world, not just to the people of Israel, but to the world, because you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I love that. After all that expected waiting, now Simeon gets to experience the Messiah. He gets to, to meet the parents and the baby who is the Messiah, the anointed one of God who is going to come as the salvation for Jews and Gentiles. And again, that's what Epiphany Tide is all about. We are constantly being reminded about Christ as a light to the nations and, and Christ as the gift, he who brings salvation to the world. But there's more to the text than just that as fulfillment, certainly that. 
but it also looks forward. Right? So again, in the example of Simeon, Simeon says, your salvation that you have prepared, right? Verses 30 and 31, looking backwards, this is the salvation, God, that you have been preparing through the nation of Israel. And if we were to read this through the eyes of Paul in Galatians 3, that Paul says, right, that the, the promise that was made to Abraham was about an offspring, a person who would be the Messiah. That's the salvation. All the way back into Genesis, the Messiah has been prepared. But at the same time, it's not just a looking back, but again, it's that looking forward to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to Israel, right? That the Messiah is coming for Jew and Gentile alike. And this is made explicit, of course, in the book of Acts. When Paul, in particular, is sent out into the world to be the apostle to the Gentiles, as he is now known. So there's Jesus bridging that which has come before and that which is to come in the future regarding the gospel. But yet we see something similar with the person of Mary. For Mary is the mother of God who presents her son to the father. Right? She's the one who comes to make purification for herself, but to present her son to the father. I mean, again, remember the culmination of this miraculous story of Mary being told by an angel that she's pregnant and is going to give birth. And then giving birth. And having animals and angels and strange men from the east show up to worship her son. Not because Mary was unclear who he was, but in her going to present her son to the father. Certainly she knew that she was presenting God to God. But... At the same time, verse 35 of the gospel, let me read that for us again. I'll start at 33. His father and his mother, Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about him by Simeon. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And the sword will pierce through your own soul also. I don't think Mary fully understood what was being prophesied here by Simeon, but the, what, what we now know is the crucifixion is what's being talked about. So Mary brings her son, fulfillment of all the prophecies, to the father, and then Simeon, in her presentation, recognizes and points us already towards the crucifixion. And again, think about it in light of our reading from Hebrews 2 this evening. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus, himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And Hebrews were looking back. But yet Hebrews tells us that a reason Jesus came was to destroy the devil, Satan, through his death. Simeon points us in that direction. Maybe Mary understood something, and she herself was pointed that direction, but we are certainly pointed in that direction. So here, this Sunday of the presentation of Christ in the temple, it's not just about a looking back and thinking and being reminded like Christmas and the incarnation, which both are opening acclamation and our collect do for us, but it's also a looking forward, an anticipation in three and a half weeks of the beginning of Lent, where we point towards the death in particular. And there's Jesus in the middle between these two elements. And again, finally, we have Simeon, expecting Israel. 
Anna, the church, and there's Jesus, right, in the middle of these two figures, right? He is the crux on which all things turn. He is the one who brings to fulfillment all the promises made to the people of Israel. And at the same time, he becomes the one who gives birth to the church. So that salvation can come to Jew and Gentile alike. Thus, on this Sunday, the presentation of our Lord, it brings us um, word of that Jesus is a light to the world. But at the same time, it reminds us or teaches us that Jesus is not just a light to the world, but he's a light that casts the dark shadows of the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. That is, we stand here in the light of Christ, but we also stand in the shadow of what's to come, the crucifixion. We stand between Christmas and Good Friday. And so today we have an opportunity to not just look back, but to look forward. Malachi, the prophet, as Kevin read, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering, notice that language, the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. So again, Christ has not just come to fulfill prophecy. Christ has come to fulfill prophecy and to point us forward to die on our behalf. So again, as we look back to Christmas, as we are constantly reminded that Jesus is the light of the world who brings salvation to all people, Jew and Gentile alike, may we also recognize that we are already standing in the shadow of that light, pointed towards the crucifixion. And soon enough, we ourselves will be walking in that direction. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.